Good evening again. It's good to see everybody again tonight on this third week of Advent. Our topic tonight in the third week of Advent is joy, which you may have figured out since like that was in all of the songs that I think we sang so far. But nonetheless, um, I want to begin, I want to begin the brief message tonight in a way that those of you who have been listening to me teach for the last five years um, are going to find hard to believe. In fact, nay, you might find this actually shocking because I'm going to begin with a prop. That's right. A thing I've literally never done as a person here at Revolution. This prop is my softball glove. And there is nothing particularly interesting about this glove at all. It's not fancy. It wasn't expensive. It's not a family heirloom. It's worn and been really in no way notable. With one, with one exception, right? Its only notable trait is that it's old. I got this glove from my parents when I was in 11th grade as a reward for beating my previous score when I retook the SAT, which, um, which is a pretty good deal when you think about it on their end, right? Like they succeeded in like bribing me to study for the SAT for like three weeks and then to get a better score, which might very well have saved them a significant amount of money in exchange for like a $50 softball glove. So heads up parenting tip for anybody out there. Um, your kids are fools and can be like wildly manipulated. But nonetheless, um, this is what I got for doing that work. And I brought it tonight because I want to make a point. And the point is that this glove is 22 years old and it is unquestionably a better glove than it was in the day that I brought it home. Have you ever played baseball or softball and had to use like a brand new glove? It's the absolute worst. It's the worst thing to do. They're impossibly stiff. My daughters are both playing softball now and so they have new gloves and I feel like you're, it's the worst thing to try and teach a young person like how to catch when at the same, like they're trying to learn that skill and also like every ball just like bounces like right off the glove. It's terrible. I remember the day that I brought this particular glove home. My dad took it from me and he like put a softball in it and he like wrapped it in rubber bands and then he like baked it in the oven at a really low temperature for like a couple hours. I don't know if that works, but that was, that was like what he did. Anyway, now after two decades, it feels pretty much perfect. Our big idea tonight is that joy isn't what we think that it is. It's not this moment of surprise or this moment of excitement. And it's not some distant memory from our youth that we wonder if we're ever gonna recover again. It's not even the idea that I, for one, at least grew up hearing in church all the time, which was that joy was this sort of base contentment that we would have in all circumstances. Instead, I think joy is better understood as a thing that is living and a thing that is growing inside of us. I think something it's something wearing in, like a glove. I think it's something that we have more of each year and not less. Strictly speaking, of course, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, according to Scripture. 
And this means that it's something that God gives to us as we seek after him. That's how the fruit thing works. But I think even that definition sells joy just the tiniest bit short, short because joy isn't a, just a gift. Joy is a glove. A little while ago, Suzanne read a passage from the Old Testament that is a prophecy from the book of Zephaniah. You can find it there in your program if you'd like to revisit it. And in that message, Zephaniah relays this message from God to the people of Israel. And God says to the people of Israel, Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Rejoice with all your heart. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall feel, fear disaster no more. And all that is awesome. God is great. God is victorious. Celebrate his power. Celebrate his victory. Rejoice. That makes full sense to me. Rejoice in who God is and what God has done. And then God goes on to say more. He says, on that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. God's going to rejoice over you. God's going to rejoice over you. Why? What on earth for? Zephaniah tells the people that the day is coming when God will, quote, renew you in his love. When he will, quote, save the lame and gather the outcast and change their shame into praise and renown. This is joy. It's not just that we're saved by a great and mighty God, a God who chooses us, a God who delivers us from harm. That's a reason to praise him, to be sure. But this is the heart of our relationship. That same God gathers us up and changes our shame into praise. He celebrates us. He sees in us good worth drawing out and worth bringing into our very being. I think fear of God is enough to get us through the first half of that Zephaniah passage. All we have to do is recognize and respond to God's power, which is amazing. But joy is the seed that is planted in us and nurtured in us by God in the second half of those verses. It is a gift given to us that it might grow in us and then erupt from us into praise. Or to use our object lesson, our prop, God tosses us the ball and we catch it. 
and we feel it settled there in the, like in the pocket of our glove. And then, and then we throw it back. There's a game I like to play with my girls when, whenever they will play catch with me, which is not as often as I'd like, but still, I've been like looking forward to this for 13 years, and so I'm pumped that like sometimes, some days, we go out and play catch. And in this game, you start really close to each other, like too close for catch, like maybe four or five feet away. And you toss the ball. And if the other person catches it, then they take a step back, right? And then they throw it to you. And if you catch it, you take a step back. And then, of course, if you drop it, you have to take a step forward. So it kind of like goes on for a while like this. And over time, of course, you get further and further apart from each other, which means then that the throws, of course, get bigger and bigger and harder and harder. And the satisfaction of catching the ball, like, increases and increases because the challenge of throwing and catching the ball is increasing, too. And I love this game. When we sense and feel and realize God's investment in our lives— his presence in our lives. We have this opportunity to let that pour back out of us. It pours out first in gratitude towards Him, and then second, in this deep desire to share that same presence and love and kindness with other people. That, I think, this, I think, is joy. To feel the fullness of God in our lives, like a ball in the pocket of the glove. And then to realize that pouring out that same feeling doesn't mean that the feeling runs out. These times of teaching during Advent are supposed to be super short. They're meant to be these like little seeds of ideas that get shared with you, and then they're supposed to be given space to grow as you think about the topic for the week over the week, or the topic for the week over the week ahead. Yeah, that was right. It's a different structure for this moment in a service than the one that we usually have, a typical time of teaching where there are these like several points and a kind of lesson that goes along with them and ways to try and apply them in your life and all that. We don't do that during Advent for a whole host of reasons. Instead, we just focus on these seeds, and tonight this is the seed. This is the seed. Joy is the ever-deepening experience of God's real presence in your life and the fearless sharing of your own presence, both in your relationship with God and in your relationships with others. That's it. That's what I want us to meditate on this week. But if you'll permit me, there are two other <laughs> quick observations about joy that I'd like to make before we're totally through. And the first is this. The first is that joy really is a gift. You can't buy it for yourself. You can't make it for yourself. You have to open yourself up then to receiving it. You gotta open the glove. A funny little fact that I learned the word rejoice, I know, typical preacher stuff here, right? Like, I'm about to give you, like, word origins and definitions. Like I said, it's just two points real quick, and then we'll be done, I promise. But the word rejoice, as a matter of fact, does come 
from these Middle English words, like rehoisen, it's probably about a good way, reshosen, depending on how you want to deal with your umlauts and your j's. But either way, that word, rehoisen, means strangely to be in possession of. Isn't that weird? To be in possession of. What a curious idea that is. When we rejoice, then, linguistically, what we're doing is expressing what we have. Another sense of the word, as it's evolved over time, is that it's an overage or an overflow. What might happen if we thought of our own rejoicing in that kind of a way? Are you full? Are you open to being filled? The angels in the fields with those shepherds that we read at the beginning today, what do they say? They say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born story that we're anticipating throughout Advent, what we've been building towards in these four weeks, that's a story that can fill us up, that can give us cause to have joy. But the question you really got to wrestle with is, do you want it to? Are you expecting it to? Are you open to catching this ball that's being thrown at you? Second observation takes me back to that ball glove. And it's this, that joy gets better over time. I thought about this a lot this week, and for a long time this week, this is like the, where the, this little homily was going to go, and then there's like a course correction on Wednesday that brought us where we are now. Because what I got fixated on is this, that so much in the culture around us works in the opposite direction, right? The best state of the thing is the way that it is when it's new. That's the best version, and then it just deteriorates over time. And I think we even think this way about ourselves, right? I'm thinking, I'm, I turn 40 next month. I'm thinking about this a lot, how I once was good, and now, eh, like, we're, we're, we're starting to fade pretty significantly. And it's not just about our, our physical prowess, right? We think about this with innocence. I think some of us think about this way with joy, that once upon a time when we were kids, we were happy, and then life has just like sapped it all away. But the economy of God just simply works in the opposite direction. The economy of God works in the opposite direction. The best is always something that is yet to come. The years of wear and tear on that glove have not made that glove less. They've made it more. It's so much easier to catch a ball in this glove now than it was 22 years ago, even if I'm not as good at doing it as I was then. It fits my hand. Well, it fits my hand like, like a glove. And if I lost it, I'd be devastated. I mean, I'm, like I said, about to turn 40. I don't want to do another 22 years with another glove. I don't know if I'll still be able to throw and catch when it gets good, you know? In God's economy, we are always moving from an initial state of stubbornness, 
of rigidity, of overconfidence, and of arrogance into a state of humility and of gentleness and of flexibility and of submission. And if I can use the word of softness. And the more we change, the more we change, the easier it becomes for us to catch what God is throwing to us, to receive it, his love for us, and then to share it back out. Our joy is increasing. Our joy is ahead of us. There's no time better than this one, than Advent, to be reminded of what is to come, to feel replenished and to feel restored by that promise and that hope. So, may this week be a week of experiencing joy for you, of possessing joy, and then of pouring out joy, both to God, our Father, and to your neighbors and friends, which is all this fancy way of saying, right? Make this a week where you play a little catch. God's always ready, and you are. Open yourself up this week. Open yourself up tonight to the wonder and to the mystery of this story and the joy and the joy it is to be reminded of all of these things. I'll pray for us, and then we'll continue uh, by receiving communion this evening. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for, for building us in the way that you've built us, making this plan that you've made with us. We don't always like it. We aren't always ready for it. We aren't always sensitive to it. But God, even though it's our tendency to always want to see things as getting worse, the truth is that they're getting better. That every day we have a chance to experience who you are more and more and more. And that as we experience who you are and trust who you are, we will change.